This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome along to the Three Lions Podcast, an independent England supporters podcast. If it's your first time, hello, my name's Russell Osborne, an England regular, home and away, since 1996. In the past year or so of producing and hosting this podcast, I've been fortunate enough to speak with Gareth Southgate, Gary Lewin, Peter Taylor, Graham Lasso, Alex Scott, and all have been good enough to give an insight into what it's like to play for, manage, and represent the Three Lions. I'm pleased to say I've another interview for you. Gary Stevens, the former Brighton, Tottenham, and Portsmouth defender, has been good enough to speak with me. That's coming up very soon. I'd love your feedback on it. If you enjoy it, please spread it around to your friends. Like and subscribe on your chosen podcast platform. If you'd be good enough to leave a positive review too, that would be great. I'm working on some more to come later in the year and I feel truly honoured that they all feel comfortable to speak with me and trust me to put this together. Those other interviews can be found at 3lionspodcast.com We're on Twitter at 3lionspodcast and you can search the same on Facebook for our group there. Right. Enough of the housekeeping. Let's hear from former England international Gary Stevens. Now, with seven senior England caps to his name, World Cup appearances too, I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast Gary Stevens. Hello. Hello and a, a very good afternoon, good evening, welcome. I'm, yeah, I'm delighted to, to join you. Thanks for contacting me and uh, I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're speaking to you remotely as you're currently, you're currently in Thailand. You went from Brighton to Tottenham to Portsmouth and to Thailand. We'll, uh, we'll speak about how you got there very soon. And I'd like to add that this is Gary Stevens of, as I say, Brighton, Tottenham and Portsmouth fame, rather than, than Everton and Rangers, which I think you've been, been mistaken for, I guess. Yeah, that's happened on a few occasions, in all honesty. And uh, there, there's been a few jokes over the years about it. You know, which one of us is the better looking Gary Stevens, <laughs> and uh, uh, amongst other things, yeah. But all good fun. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, well, well, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk England. You won eight caps for the under-21s and done something that not many have. You won a tournament with England, didn't you? The 1984 under-21 European Championships. Yeah, it was a, a great achievement, I guess, because it's always difficult to win a trophy, be it club level, international level, full under-21s, whatever. Um, and... Again, when you look back to 1984, it was against Spain in a two-legged final. And, you know, when you, when you look at the, the pedigree of the, the Spanish football in particular these days, um, it, was a, it was a great achievement for us. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed my time with the under-21s. 
Um, Howard Wilkinson was in charge for a while. Dave Sexton was in charge for a while. Um, and it also gave me an early sort of understanding of international football. Um, I'd had England schoolboy trials, not got involved. I never had anything to do with the England youth set up as such. Um, and I managed to work my way into the under 21 squad. Um, and it was a, it was just a great experience all round. You know, you're, you're training with and playing with players who, you know, a lot of the time you were a competitor of from another club. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's important to get like a, an early grounding, say with the under 21s in your case, before moving on to the, to the seniors? I don't think it's crucial, but I think it can certainly help. And I don't see that it does you any harm whatsoever. So, you know, the FA at the moment are kind of building a, a real pathway through the the underage sides into the under 21s, into the senior team, because they believe, and, and I would tend to agree with them, that, you know, experience in international football at any age group that's appropriate to you can and almost certainly will stand you in good stead for when and if you do get in the senior side. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's for, for those that aren't aware, the under-21s tournament in 84, you beat Greece, Hungary and Denmark. Then uh, France as well, smashed them 7-1 in the quarterfinals. Um, and Italy in the semifinals, so it was Spain in a two-legged match. The first one was in, in Seville and then the second leg at Bramall Lane. Uh, there were some decent players in, in both sides, really, weren't there? Mel Sterland, Paul Bracewell, Steve Hodge as well, Mark Haitley, who you, you went on alongside at, at the senior level. And and even in the Spanish side, Butzoguenio, Michelle and Zubizarreta, who we may have remember. Well, well, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's amazing, really, uh, the uh, amount of fallout between an under-21 side and not actually getting into senior international football and, and falling by the wayside. But for me personally, you know, 1984 or the 83-84 the period was, was quite incredible because I'd, I'd been at Brighton Football Club and although we got relegated at the end of the uh, 83 season, 82-83 season, we got to the cup final against Manchester United and with the exception of the result, Everything else was fantastic about it. And I managed to score a goal in the cup final, a boyhood dream. And uh, off the back of that, I got transferred to Tottenham. And at the end of my first season, which was very difficult at Tottenham, because I, I found it hard to adjust to the demands of a, a bigger club and the demands of a more demanding fan base as well. Um, we got to the UEFA Cup final um, at Spurs. And it was a two-legged final against Anderlecht, which we... We eventually won after extra time and penalties, and I took a penalty in that. And just, just before the second leg of that UEFA Cup final, we'd played the first leg of the under-21 final for England against Spain, which was a, you know, a big test, a great atmosphere, and you know, I was thrilled to be part of it. And it was coming away from that that a couple of reporters spoke to me and said, well, you know, Gary, you know, you've got the UEFA Cup final on this date, and the very next night, you've got the European Under-21 Championship second leg of the final. How's that going to work? And my reaction was, well, I'll play in both of them. In reality, that was never going to happen. And, of course, I played for Spurs on the, uh, in the UEFA Cup final 
second leg at White Hart Lane. And then I had to just follow, in actual fact, he was on the radio the following night, the, the game where the under-21s played the second leg against Spain in, in Sheffield. And although I would love to have been there, it was it was just kind of too much of a hike to get up there to watch the game in person after the uh, the celebrations of the night before. But, you know, I was, I was thrilled, obviously, that the boys won that game um, overall. And I picked up in 1984 a UEFA Cup winner's medal and the European Under-21 Championship winner's medal. So it was a kind of a, a bit of a golden year for me. Wasn't it just? Well, great stuff. So, I mean, you, you then progressed up to the senior side. Bobby Robson was in charge then, wasn't he? What, what was Bobby like? Well, Bobby uh, was a fantastic man, in my opinion. My footballing career started pretty much in Suffolk. I'd moved out of London. We moved up to Suffolk as a family, Bury St Edmunds, and the nearest club was Ipswich Town. So I played sort of West Suffolk schools, Suffolk schools, and that led into Ipswich Town. Um, so I was going to Ipswich Town from the age of 11 until I was 16, which was 1978. And Bobby Robson was the, the manager of uh, Ipswich at the time. And it was actually Bobby who called me into his office. He didn't leave it to the youth team guy. This was the type of man that Bobby Robson was. Um, Bobby Robson called me into his office and sat me down and said, listen, son, we're sorry, but we're not going to offer you an apprenticeship here at Ipswich Football Club. Um, There's a lot of very good players ahead of you. You know, we've got established defenders such as Mick Mills, George Burley, Kevin Beattie, Alan Hunter. We've got Russell Osman and Terry Butcher coming through. And some of your age group, Gary, said they're a bit ahead of you at the moment. We don't see there's a pathway for you. So why don't you get a job locally? Keep training with the youth team and we'll see what transpires if you don't want to do that, we'll sort you out with a trial at another club with our strong recommendation. So um, once I dried my tears up, um, I spent a couple of days thinking about it. I had an interview to go into the army, which I didn't fancy in the end. I tried to get a couple of jobs locally, which was maybe an option. But in the end, I decided I could make it elsewhere. So I went back to Bobby Robson and said, where are you going to send me? I can make it. I know I can. He said, how do you fancy Brighton? They're one league below us here at Ipswich at the moment. Alan Muller is in charge, good friend of mine. They'll give you at least a fair trial. What do you think? So, you know, I I went down to Brighton and that two-week trial lasted four weeks. And in the end, I got myself an apprenticeship. 18 months later, Brighton had got promotion and there were some injury problems. And I was in the reserve team. And at 17, Alan Muller stuck me in the first team to play my debut in the top flight at home against none other than Ipswich, where Bobby Robson was still the manager. Subsequently, later that season, Brighton are playing away at Ipswich. Um, In those days, we had one substitute. Um, I'm the one substitute because Mark Lawrenson was fit and back and in the Brighton team, and I couldn't dislodge him. We draw against Ipswich with Bobby Robson still the head coach there. And then ultimately, Bobby picked me to play for England as well. So, You know, Bobby Robson played a huge, huge part in my career from, well, the age of 11 until sort of late 80s when uh, I eventually couldn't get myself back into the England squad. So, you know, Bobby Robson for me has always been one of the greats in football. Nice. That's that's really good to hear. And you made your debut at Wembley against Finland, 17th of October 1984, half-time sub for Mike Duxbury. 
was, was that Bobby that told you the change was going to happen? How did you feel about it all? Well, I, you know, I'd been in a few squads and, and I was an ideal man to, to be in a squad because I could play in a number of positions. I was regarded as a bit of a utility player. You know, I, I did... I did it for Brighton, I did it for Spurs, and ultimately I did it for England as well. You know, played anywhere across the back four and within reason, anywhere across a midfield four or a midfield three in those days. So, you know, there I was on the on the bench at Wembley. The game wasn't televised, I remember, because um, there was some TV industrial dispute. And I'd said to my mum and dad, you know, I'm not sure it's worth you coming down from Suffolk to Wembley to watch the game because... You know, you know what it is for me at the moment. I'm substitute and I never get on and I'm substitute and I never get on. So unfortunately, my mum and dad weren't there. But Mike Duxbury had picked up a bit of a knock in the first half. And at half time, Bobby decided that with the medical department that Mike Duxbury couldn't continue. And and I was his choice to go on and play it right back. Yeah, I think it's your business, isn't it? It's your trade. It's it's what you do. It's what you know. And I don't think there's any great time for nerves. And if you're confident in your own ability, you go out there. And and it wasn't the most demanding of games for us, which we eventually won 4-0. I think I probably got more verbal stick off Peter Shilton in goal because I was flying forward all the time. And and Shilts was not only a great goalkeeper, but he was a little bit... um, cautious at times and wanted his his back four just to sit nice and solid in case and I'm saying well there's no threat we can you know come on we can go on and we can get more goals and I'm I'm getting forward not that I would ever um question Schultz's knowledge certainly not when I was what 22 years of age in the England team and he must have amassed over 50 odd caps by that stage as well and um, what, what was Wembley like? As you say, you mentioned Wembley. You scored there um, and you played again uh, with Tottenham. What was when the old Wembley like? Well, I loved it. You know, it's an iconic stadium. You know, you talk about Wembley in, in a football environment anywhere in the world and, and people know that it's, you know, the home of English football in London. So, yeah, I, I loved it. Was it, was it a a great stadium with that dog track round it and with some poor visibility with the, you know, some of the poles and posts in the way and what have you. Maybe not, but it had so much history attached to it. You know, so, so many great games from years prior. And of course, arguably the greatest one with England lifting the World Cup there in 66. So, um, you know, for me, it was as a young kid, I've already mentioned it. You know, I wanted to play in a cup final. I wanted to score a goal in a cup final. I wanted to play for my country. I wanted to play for my country at Wembley. So, you know, again, that was another another little hope and ambition of mine that I could put a tick alongside when I got on for England at Wembley in a World Cup qualifier. Certainly, certainly ticked all the boxes, haven't you, there? Further England games, you played away to Turkey, Northern Ireland. That was a Rouse Cup victory over Scotland as well, which I guess was always a uh, a game to be part of. Yeah. Yes, it was sort of end of the season in 86. And obviously it was leading up to Bobby Robson announcing what would be his England 22 to go to Mexico 86. So there you go. England 22, not a 23 as it is these days. Ah, yes. Um, and I came on as a sub in the in the second half of that game. And I came on for Peter Reid in midfield. 
because uh, he had picked up a bit of a, a knock. And then later on in the game, I slotted in at centre-half while Terry Butcher had a little bit of attention paid to him. He'd, he'd taken a bump, but he came back on, I think. Um, and then Scotland had Richard Goff playing at right back and, and he was flying forward and they were knocking these long diagonals up to him above Kenny Sanson, our left back's head. And in the end, Bobby Robson decided to take Kenny Sanson off, play me at left back and bring somebody else into midfield. So in the course of less than half a game, because I came on in the second half, I actually played in three positions. I played in the middle of midfield, I played central defender and I played left back. And as we're leaving the pitch at Wembley afterwards, having picked up our winner's medal, got to get that one in, the winner's medal against against Scotland in the Rouse Cup in 86, Bobby Robson came across to me and he said, you are useful. It it was definitely useful, not useless. (laughs) He said, you are useful. And I knew, I absolutely knew at that point that I was going to end up in his squad of 22 for the World Cup Mexico 86. Oh, great. Well, first of all, I assume that Rouse Cup winner's medal is, is still on your sideboard there. Um, but the that's got to be the highlight, hasn't it, being picked for the 86 squad? Well, yeah, I, I think it's right up there for sure because, as I said, I've referred a few times, haven't I, to you know my... my my schoolboy dreams and my hopes and ambitions as a as a young kid and you know one was definitely to play in the world cup for england playing the world cup finals for england so yeah it, it was it was amazing i was actually at home at the time um i was i was in the back garden at my house in broxbourne in hertfordshire at the time which was where I was living when I was playing at Spurs. And my my girlfriend, she might have been my fiance, she ultimately became my wife, came out into the garden and said, you've been picked, you've been picked. And I said, how do you know? How do you know? She said, I've just seen it. It's on teletext. Do you remember the days of teletext? <laughs> so yes. that, you know, that, that's exactly how I found out. You know, the squad had been announced and my girlfriend told me that she'd seen it on the TV on teletext. You know, obviously, subsequently, the, the club were advised. The club spoke to me. England spoke to me. I got the official letter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, going back to 86, very different days as far as communication and processes are concerned. Amazing on teletext. So you, uh, you came on as a sub against Morocco, then again against Paraguay. And I don't know if... Back then, assists were were counted or, or looked upon as much, but you got a World Cup assist, didn't you, squaring the ball to Gary Lineker? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, because if you hadn't have done, I was going to do so. <laughs> but um, the, the first game you, you mentioned, Morocco, which was uh, a group game, we'd, we'd lost to Portugal in our first game out there. And you know, Portugal were nothing like the footballing force that they are these days. So it was a, it was a big shock. Then the game against Paraguay, Brian Robson dislocated his shoulder. He'd gone out there with a, a shoulder problem and he dislocated it. Um, and then Ray Wilkins got sent off. So England were down to 10 men and Bobby Robson sent me on and sacrificed Mark Hately up front. And it was just a case of, well, it's, it's nil-nil. We're down to 10 men. Can we hang on and get a point out of this? Um, we did. And, you know, I felt I played my part in doing that. But, you know, it was just a case of working hard and, and pulling together. And so after... After two games, we'd had 
one defeat and one draw and we were staring you know extinction or the exit to the tournament square in the face um the next game was against Poland which I wasn't involved in I sat on the bench again you know Lineker did the honours with a with a hat trick if I remember correctly and and suddenly we were into the last 16 we then moved to Mexico City and we prepared for that well because although we weren't playing at altitude, we'd been staying at altitude and coming down to play lower level um, in the group stages. So we're now Mexico City, we're at altitude. And the Azteca Stadium was was monstrous, but the pitch was absolutely shocking. It, the surface was, was dreadful. Um, we're playing Paraguay into the second half. Peter Reid struggling a little bit with a knock. Bobby Robson made the substitution. I went on for Peter Reid in midfield. And it was one of those quite famous commentary moments because on the pitch at the time was Gary Stevens Everton, Trevor mm-hmm. Stephen Everton and Gary Stevens Spurs. And I think John Motson actually went, it's Stevens to Stephen to Stevens <laughs> on one occasion. It, it did actually happen. But the, the, my assist for Gary Lineker was sort of made in Tottenham to some extent. Glenn Hoddle got on the ball in midfield and and I made a run forward into the area, knowing that Glenn had the ability to pick me out, which he did with a little outside of the foot pass. And I'm now wide, but into the penalty area. And I know that all I have to do is square it across the face of the goal along the ground, because that is the run that Lineker will make. That's the run that Gary Lineker often makes. So it was the easiest thing in the world for me to slide and with my right foot, knock it firmly across the face of the goal, sort of on or around the six-yard box. And sure enough, there was Mr Lineker knocking it home. Um, So, yeah, a great moment for me, a good moment for Gary Lineker. And we won the game comfortably, which put us into the quarterfinals. Gary Stevens of Tottenham's in a good position. Well, yes, the quarterfinals. Unfortunately, you were on the bench for that one. And um, let's cut to the chase. Did you see it? We're going to talk hand of God. Did you see it from the bench? Uh, this, the simple answer is no, I didn't. We weren't sure. But, and again, in the Azteca Stadium, the dugout was obviously on the halfway line, but it was set, I don't know, maybe 10 yards back from the pitch, maybe a touch further. And it was literally, you were down in the ground. So your, right. your head was maybe a foot above pitch level. It was a shocking place to, to observe a game from. And if you, if you worked out the yardage, it's probably 70 yards from where we were to where the incident was. All we knew was that something had gone wrong because as the ball looped up in, in the air from Steve Hodge and we're seeing Peter Shilton coming out and he's going to punch it, you know, there's only one thing that's going to happen, and that's Peter Shilton's going to punch it, you know, because he's got a run, he's got the advantage, he's got his arm. And as Diego Maradona challenged for it, somehow the ball went past Peter Shilton and he, he punched nothing. Um, and then, of course, there's Terry Fennick and there's Terry Butcher, you know, indicating to the, the referee that it's a handball. You know, my namesake and, and Gary Stevens of Everton and and Kenny Sanson have rushed over to the lines when they're saying it's handball. Um, all I can assume is that the referee didn't see it from where he was because 
if he had, he has to give it. You, you could say that Diego Maradona did it quite brilliantly because it was very subtle, almost like a, the sleight of hand of a magician. But obviously it didn't help our cause too much. No. And, you know, yeah, somewhat aggrieved. I suppose if you say, well, if you found yourself in that type of position yourself, would you maybe do similar? I dare say at some stage most of us have in training, in a match, but maybe not in a World Cup quarterfinal, eh? No, no. But it must have been, uh, what what an atmosphere, though. I mean, Maradona had scored the uh, the wonderful goal beforehand as well. Gary, Le- Gary Lineker had equalised. Just a, a great occasion, apart from the result, I guess. <laughs> well, it, yes, it was a huge occasion, for sure. I, I think there was in excess of 110,000 in the stadium that day. It's, it's, it's going round the world. Millions of people watching it. And yeah, I think probably the the only thing that went really, really wrong for us was was the result. Maradona's wonder goal was just that. Um, you know, he had a, an incredible World Cup in his own in his own right. You know, didn't singly hand or single handedly win it for Argentina, but he was the main reason that they they won it. I actually felt leading up to the game that there was too much talk in in the England camp about this Maradona, how good he was, what he could do to us, how he could hurt us, what a genius he was, what a top player. And, you know, again, for me, I, I, I felt that leading up to it, we should have been talking a bit more about ourselves and how well we had done against Paraguay and what we could do to Argentina. That's just a, a personal feeling on it and a personal thought on it. And also from a personal opinion, uh, aspect I was disappointed that I didn't play I'd come on as a a substitute as we mentioned in the previous game against Paraguay for Peter Reid Peter felt that he was fit enough to play in the game against Argentina um, and Bobby Robson started him and leading up to the game you know a few days before then Bobby Robson and Don Howe were talking about maybe man marking Maradona and they had a conversation with me at one stage as to man marking. Is it something that I like to do? Is it something that I've ever done? How would I feel about it? In the end, they decided that that wasn't the way to do it. and We didn't man mark Maradona as such, but I, I can't help looking back and thinking, well, if I had been given that job, because at the time there was no doubt about it. I was, I was super, super fit. Um, if I had been given that job, it just might have made me, but it could have absolutely wrecked me football-wise and psychologically. Oh, yes. Not, not worth, well, I, I say not worth thinking about, but I guess you, you always do and you always will. Yeah, I think that's possibly the biggest issue and problems a lot of players have at the end of their careers, that what-if scenario. You know, it's hard to win tournaments and it's hard to win trophies. And, you know, in, in my career... I managed to win two, which we've touched on the you know European Under Twenty One Championship with England in '84 and the UEFA Cup with Spurs in '84. Um, but I played in two FA Cup finals and I lost them both. I played in one World Cup finals, Mexico '86, as we're talking about. And you know, but for an amazing Diego Maradona goal and an illegal goal, the hand of God goal, who knows? I might actually, with my England colleagues, have ended up getting to the semi-final, the final, 
yeah. and winning it. You, you just don't know, do you? And and I think that's the the tough bit to take. And you never know when your next chance might come along. And for me personally, you know, my last appearance for England was in Mexico '86 against Paraguay. I was in a couple of squads after that, but then I had some injury problems. And that's it. It's it's over. You you know your chance has gone. You've had your day, and you got to get on with the rest of your life. Yeah, that will be the position of of every footballer, I guess. Um, and that that includes the current crop of England players. Mo- moving forward to to the here and now, what what do you feel for for Gareth Southgate and his team and the future for those players? Well, I'm, I'm thrilled the way things are progressing at the moment. You know the 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 youth that's coming into and through the system and breaking into the senior side, the way they performed in the World Cup last year in the finals, you know, was fantastic. Did they overachieve? Well, <laughs> maybe it wasn't particularly expected, um, but I thought there was a, a freedom about their play generally. Yes, you need a bit of good fortune, but again, I'm a great believer that you make your own fortune as well. You know, I, I really enjoyed the World Cup from an England perspective. It, it you know, we've 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 got a lot of respect back, and you know, we had fallen from grace quite a long way, unfortunately. Yeah, no, f- future is bright. I, I I agree. Now, as we mentioned, that you you went from Brighton to Tottenham to Portsmouth, your England career, and did you go to was it Azerbaijan as well for a bit of bit of coaching there? <laughs> Yeah, I've had a, an interesting career when I packed up playing football rather than going to coaching and management. I actually went into the media and spent you know, a good 10 or 12 years doing that as a freelance with all sorts of outlets. Enjoyed it very much. Wanted to get back into football. Got my coaching qualifications um, all sorted out. Started at Charlton Athletic as part of the academy there where I took the under 23s or well, under 21s, I think, at the time stroke reserve team, ran my own coaching business for four or five years. And then I had the opportunity to go to Azerbaijan. A friend of mine became the um, director of football there and they decided they wanted to go for it a little bit with a club called Gabala in Azerbaijan. He didn't think that I quite had the credentials they were looking for. And ultimately they took Tony Adams, but they wanted me because I'd learned a lot about the club and the country and everything over a period of time. They wanted me to go as an assistant to Tony Adams, which he was happy with. So I had a couple of years in Azerbaijan coaching, which was a great experience. You know, the culture, the language, the climate that led on to me when uh, when we both left the club, uh, taking a position with Sligo Rovers in the League of Ireland, where they just won the league and my first season there, we managed to win the uh, FA Cup of Ireland. And then the second season, we won the Satanta Cup. We played in the qualifying rounds of the Champions League against Mulder, who Uli Gunnar was then yeah. at the time head coach of. And subsequently between there and Cardiff, he went back. And of course, now he's at United. Um, and I am now in Thailand where... Um, I came out four and a half years ago to be the head coach of a, a club called Army United in the Thai Premier League. That was via a recruitment program organised by Leicester City Football Club because of their strong connections with King Power and Thailand. I went on and became the head coach at another club. I've really enjoyed the culture, the climate, the cuisine, the lifestyle out here. 
I've stayed out here. I do some media work, which takes me across to Malaysia to cover the English Premier League for Astro Super Sports. Um, so most weekends I travel from Thailand by plane for a couple of hours to Kuala Lumpur. Um, I get back to England a couple of times a year. I've got, uh, I'm making a personal appearance with a former Spurs teammate of mine who also played for England, Danny Thomas. Um, we're making a, a personal appearance um, in England. In, it's at Chessington on June the 7th this year. Looking forward to a lot of Spurs fans being there, question and answer, photographs, autographs, etc., etc. If anybody ever wants to contact me, it's like a, a rolling advert, this, isn't do it? it? Do it, do it. If anyone wants to contact me, the best way is probably through Twitter. And my Twitter account is at Gary Stevens UK. That's probably the easiest thing to do. And I can, I can liaise with you. Sign things, whatever you want. You know, I'm, I'm very approachable. It's, it's really interesting. When I was doing my coaching qualifications and I got my pro license, one of the things we had to do before we started the year-long course was we had to interview somebody who um, had, had a great career in the game as a player and a coach. And it was easy for me to catch up with Terry Venables. Okay. So I had a great chat with him. Um, it was meant to be a 45-minute interview. Four hours later, we were still talking. <laughs> And one of the things he said to me, he said, Gary, he said, contact people in football, talk to people in football. He said, you know, I told you I'll give you 45 minutes. We're now talking for four hours, he said. And people in football are very amenable. And, you know, I'm saying this to all the fans, and I'm sure some of them have had some maybe disappointing experiences where, you know, players haven't been too obliging. But, you know, I am definitely of the ilk that if somebody contacts me, they'll get a reply. If somebody wants something, I'll do my best I possibly can for them, be it a signed photograph, be it send a good luck message to somebody who's getting married, whatever. So if anybody wants to contact me, Twitter at Gary Stevens UK. Well, I can I can certainly vouch for that because that is the way uh, that we have been brought together. And I thank you very, very much for uh, for your time. It hasn't been four hours, <laughs> like uh, like yourself and Terry Venables, but it has been a, a very pleasurable half an hour. And, and I thank you for, for bringing your memories to the Three Lions podcast. Uh, my pleasure, Russell. Lovely to talk to you. And uh, I wish you and, uh, of course, all the England fans and the England side in particular, every success in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>